You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Right. So, Daryl, for our next topic, we're going to be talking about the state of international umpiring and discuss other things within international umpiring as well. But let's talk about the state of international umpiring first. Daryl, what's your take on how the game is being umpired today and what changes would you make to how the game is umpired? Uh, well, I think I touched on that earlier when we were talking about that last series, uh, Australia-India, where it was umpired by the Australians and, you know, obviously a series in England umpired by the English. It seems to be ticking along pretty well. The standard of umpiring seems to be extremely high. I think the umpires are far more skilled than we were 10 years ago and 20 years ago when I was umpiring. Um, they, their knowledge is generally is very, very good. Um, their efficiency at making decisions is great. They've got the third umpire to back them up to resolve any issues. And it seems to me that uh, the state of umpiring at the highest levels in pretty good hands. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I enjoy watching uh, a little bit of international, umpire, uh, international cricket, but I, I, I certainly haven't been involved internationally for 10 years. So, uh, these are the, you know, the ramblings of someone that's been out of the system and, and just viewing it from afar. But um, I like what I see, and uh, yeah, I enjoy I enjoy watching good quality cricket and good quality umpiring. Absolutely. Uh, do do some people get in touch with you um, to talk umpiring from the international panel or not? No. Generally speaking, uh, you know, umpires keep to themselves. They uh, they don't want to talk to someone that uh, has been. Uh, you know, it's 10 years since I'm part of Test Match. So, you know, my, my way of thinking is, is old-fashioned. And, um, you know, what these guys are doing is very impressive today. I think, you know, if you watch that last series, Australia-India, you know, the umpiring was terrific. Um, we had Paul Wilson coming through umpiring a couple of Test Matches towards the end of that series, or maybe the third and fourth Test. He, he did a great job for someone that's only umpired. Um, maybe four or five, I think he's might have only umpired four test matches, but he's an umpire that's coming through the system and, and, and looking really sharp and positive and, and effective, ticking all the right boxes. So, yeah, I, th- I think the state of umpiring is pretty good. Yeah. Um, Daryl, as you said, umpiring's changed dramatically since you retired in 2011, and it's changed over the years, actually. The techniques have changed. I remember umpires used to crouch down really low in the real old days, watching the bowler's feet, through the popping crease. Uh, that was for yeah. the back foot law, which is no longer um, in cricket anymore. That was changed in 1963 to the front right. foot law, which we have to this present day. Um, umpires used to lunge forward in their stance when they were standing upright and used to go forward like that as well. But umpires tend to stand up straight, keep still and don't move their head as much and, as they did back in the old days. The uniforms have changed as well. I remember umpires used to wear ties and button-up shirts, Daryl. Yes, Not great on a hot day, I'm guessing. No, it wasn't, especially in the subcontinent. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. Yeah, that's the only sport in the world that has umpires wearing ties and button-up shirts, and they used to wear white trench coats. I'm sure you have a collection of your uniforms over the years, Daryl. I've dumped most of that rubbish. <laughs> I thought you would have kept them. <laughs> Only if I want to sell ice creams at a football match would I wear a jacket like that. <laughs> no, I say bring back the trench coats. They look pretty cool. You know, bring back, you know, that's what they used to wear back in the day. 
Um, no, ICC, no, bring it back. <laughs> keep it modern, stay modern. Yeah. Um, and umpires have technology to assist them in decision-making um, and the DRS has come in as well. Daryl, what has been the biggest change in umpiring from when you umpired to the modern day umpires? And would you prefer to umpire today or in your era? Well, I still look back and, and enjoy the fact that pre-DRS, when we made a decision, the players had to accept that decision. And on many occasions, they were wrong. Uh, the decisions, that is. Um, but the game was played in the right spirit. People begrudgingly accepted the decision and moved on. You know, life, life carried on. Um, with the DRS coming in, it means that more decisions will be accurately resolved. But um, I think it, it takes a little bit away from the importance of the umpire or the, uh, the satisfaction that an umpire can get now. I, I don't think I'd like to stand out there and have a number of decisions reviewed and, and overturned in a day. I had that experience once in, a, uh, I think it might have been a T20 or some competition. I, I, I didn't enjoy that. Um, so I like cricket the old-fashioned way, but I'm quite happy for in the modern times the way the game's gone. Uh, I'm just I'm just glad that I came from the old era when uh, out was out, not out was not out. Absolutely, it's where you respected the umpire's decision that was final, either good or bad. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Mm. That's right. Um, Daryl, we've seen over the last few years more female umpires come through the system and take up the profession in a male-dominated uh, profession, really, which the umpiring is. And that's great to see. Many women have gone on to umpire women's internationals, World Cups, T20 World Cups in the women's game, um, and an opportunity to officiate in men's games every now and again. Um, we also see more and more umpires to the International Panel of ICC Development Umpires. Um, so the ICC promoting women officials, which is brilliant to see, and yep. long may that continue. In Australia, we have two females on that panel, Claire Poldersack and Eloise Sheridan, who's from South Australia, actually. Um, Claire Poldersack, she's umpired many international matches in the women's game and did a few men's as well. Uh, yep. Last summer at the SCG, she became the first female to officiate in a men's test, being fourth umpire um, in that test match, which was um, a proud occasion. And Eloise Sheridan, who's from South Australia, she's really umpired well in domestic cricket here in Australia. She's become the first South Australian female to be appointed to a Cricket Australia umpiring panel, which is great. She's joined Cricket Australia's supplementary umpiring panel, and she's been caught up to the um, Australia and India women's series happening at the moment up there in mm -hmm. Queensland. And we yep. wish her all the best because she will be making her international debut in that uh, series. So all the best to her. So Claire and Eloise are leading the way for female umpires and officials within the game of cricket here in Australia, but all over the world. Daryl, how do you see the future of female umpires in cricket? And do you see a female umpire umpiring a men's test match in the near future? I don't know about the near future, but I can see uh, female umpires developing further and further and uh, move, moving up the ladder, so to speak. I can see... Uh, 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 women being involved in the national panel eventually uh, when their performance is warranted. Uh, there's another young lady who umpires here in Adelaide, Mary Waldron, who is actually from Ireland. And I, a couple of years ago, I went out to uh, a club match here in Adelaide. It was the first time that a men's 
club match. Tree Gully was playing at home out at Pertaringa, and it was umpired by two women. And that was a, that was a first. Um, so, yeah, it was nice to be there on that historical day. So, yeah, the women are, are certainly not taking over, but they're, they're moving into the ranks, and it's great to see the recruiting happening. And, uh, yeah, the more the merrier. Um, it doesn't matter who's making the decision. The most important thing is whether it's out or not and whether it's correct or not. So, um, yeah, go for it. Go for it, ladies. Uh, you know, please join the club. Absolutely. And um, it's great that we're seeing women umpires eventually go into international ranks and hopefully higher honours. So long may yeah. that continue and great work by the ICC and, and, and obviously home boards around the world promoting women's women officials, which is brilliant to yes. see. Exactly. Now, Daryl, many people don't know what international umpires actually do behind the scenes. Many people don't know what the third umpire, fourth umpire or match referee does. They know what the on-field umpires do, but they don't know what those other umpires in the match referee do. So Daryl, give us a bit of a snapshot of what the third umpire, fourth umpire and match referee do within a game of cricket. Okay, well, I think most people are pretty au fait with the third umpire. They know that third umpire is sitting there and responding to uh, reviews, responding to runouts, responding to any request that the umpires on the field May, may ask, may ask of him, so, or her. The third umpire's got access to all the statistics uh, uh, that, are, that are happening, got access to replays, uh, got access to seeing the bowler's front foot land on the pop increase. So the, the third umpire is actually becoming quite an important person in the game. Uh, still, you know, the two on field uh, are doing the, the bulk of the work and that third umpire is there for, I guess, referrals um, if anything is uncertain on the field, that's where the third umpire comes in. So the third umpire's got to be sitting in front of the, the screen, you know, for every every delivery and, and more, um, keeping the on-field umpires up to date. They might be passing on a weather report that's come through. Uh, they might have uh, one of their screens with uh, with the radar showing that uh, there's weather approaching. So, um, you know, the third umpire's there to, to keep feeding as much into the on-field umpires as they can possibly digest uh, and also, you know, resolve the difficult situations when they're referred to. The fourth umpire has a less onerous task. The fourth umpire is usually located on the ground, uh, usually between the two playing boxes uh, where the uh, two competing teams may have their players. It depends on whether it's a test or if it's a T20 or whatever it is. Um, the fourth umpire is available to tidy up lots of loose ends, let's put it that way. Um, if the boundary ropes uh, dislodged and needs to be replaced, fourth umpire will jump out and put that back into order. If a replacement balls required, fourth umpire will have those available to run out to the two umpires in the middle. Um, really de dealing with uh, drinks for the umpires, uh, all the little odds and ends that you take for granted, uh, someone's got to do them and it's usually the fourth umpire. Um, it's a good, a good situation. It's a good learning curve. It's a good chance for the fourth umpire to be there, hear the conversation going on between the umpires, see how the best umpires at that level operate and pick up any tips that uh, appeal to them that they can use in their game. So it's usually you know, more of a development uh, position than, than one that uh, people crave to be appointed as a fourth umpire. You really want to be appointed on the field or in the box. They're the, they're, the, they're, the, they're the key jobs. Now, the referee's got an interesting role. I did that for eight years for Cricket Australia, where I would uh, conduct the toss 
Uh, I'd spend time with the umpires before the game, during the breaks and after the game. Uh, as a referee, you've got to assess the umpire's performance. Uh, that involves assessing any decisions that they make. And I'm thinking that in a Sheffield Shield match going for four days, that might involve very close scrutiny of maybe 60, 70 deliveries. Uh, all the appeals are recorded, batsman, the bowler, the outcome, uh, what the replay showed, uh, whether it was right or wrong. Um, there are a number of statistics to be retained by the, by the referee and all the paperwork regarding, you know, tidying up the match over rates, of course, we've already mentioned. Um, any reporting that takes place, if anyone breaches the code of conduct, it's the referee who deals with that person and determines the sanction if one's applied. So the referee has a lot of work to do after the game, especially because those reports need to be written and, and uploaded, uh, provided for the governing body and anyone else who's interested um, so that, uh, you know, that game can be fully resolved. There'll be a report on the state of the ground, whether it was up to scratch, the change rooms, uh, the pitch, uh, all the facilities, car parking, food, uh, cleanliness, all, all, all those areas that you take for granted, they're all covered in a report submitted by the referee. So, yeah, it's quite a, quite a lengthy job. But the most, I think the key issue for the referee is to resolve any issues that come, dissent, whatever, if it's reported, and also to assess the umpires because we all need assessment and uh, the umpires like to be provided with that feedback initially on the day of play most umpires like to hear what you know how they've gone and then within a day that report is uploaded onto the system and the umpire can see precisely how they've been assessed so it's it's, it's quite transparent and uh, everyone knows what uh, what they're getting and what's been said about them Absolutely. so they're the jobs yeah so I hope everyone's got a bit of an idea of what the uh, third and fourth and match referee do during a match in international cricket. Yeah, good fun. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Daryl, mental health has become a big problem in cricket among players, but it has become a big problem in society as well. Um, Daryl, umpiring being a high-pressure job, with that it comes with a lot of pressure from the media, when incorrect decisions happen within a match or you're performing badly and poorly over a long period of time. I was reading Ian Gould's book, and Daryl, you would have umpired a lot of games with Gunner, uh, which yep. was Ian yep. Gould's nickname, um, and you umpired his, your last test match with him in 2011. Um, he mentioned in his book he was burnt out, suffered a mental breakdown. He said in his book, in the end, 10 years of constant matches, meetings, and travel wore me down. He's, he went on to say, I know for, for sure that some of my colleagues have experienced similar issues, but like me, they cover it up for the main reason that it's a great life and you are loathe to give it up. He then said, do the ICC have a duty of care to provide more pastoral care for umpires and referees? Perhaps maybe a better idea is to have people around who can recognize the signs. Now, we mentioned before that, <clears throat> that the ICC may be considering having home and away umpires to cut down travel, and that could improve umpires and match referees' mental health going forward in the near future. Um, Daryl, how much of a toll did international umpiring took on you, and did some of your colleagues express the, uh, concerns for their mental health and well-being? I don't believe anyone did in my time. My era was 
really a little bit of overlap with Ian Gould, but uh, my, my era was really basically from the early 90s until 2010-11. Um, uh, what sort of toll did it have? Uh, I'm still seeing a therapist. No, 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 I'm joking. Um, I don't, I, to be honest, I don't know what sort of a toll it had. There were highs and lows. Uh, I think um, maybe there's a bit of different terminology these days. Uh, people, uh, people seem to be struggling in many different ways. They just have different labels for it these days. I mean, I, I must admit, I, there were times when I was quite depressed with the way things were going. And if you're away from home and that happens, it, it can be very difficult, very testing. Um, especially if you think the, the world's against you or the media's jumping on your back and you keep reading your name in the paper and you don't want to see it. Uh, look, um, it, it's up to each individual, isn't it? You, you can't, you can't uh, cover everybody. Um, I, I certainly didn't know at the time that Ian was struggling in any way. Perhaps his struggles came soon after. Perhaps his struggle came when I, when I departed from the scene. Maybe I was keeping him, uh, keeping him afloat. And as soon as I left, he went downhill. I don't really know. I haven't spoken to Ian since then. Uh, he was an outstanding umpire, great personality, really bubbly fella. And uh, he would be the last one that anyone from the outside would think was having any problems because of his, his outgoing nature and his, his humour and his, his love of life. He was just, he was the sort of guy you'd want to be with uh, if you're off the field because something would be happening. There'd be a joke, a laugh, uh, there'd be a bit of action. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I, was, I was disappointed to hear that he had had tough times, but then I reflected and thought, well, I guess we've all been through those moments uh, ourselves. Uh, they are easier to cope with, I think, when you're in your home country. Um, I did leave Australia 80 times to go and umpire overseas, so there were a lot of opportunities to get to, uh, to get the highs and the lows. So, uh, so be it. That's life. You take what, uh, what comes and uh, you respond in the best way that you possibly can. Absolutely. Um, did the ICC ever mention that to you at all or any of the umpires about that or support available? I don't believe that was ever discussed um, in my time. Uh, I think it's more of a uh, the last decade situation. Uh, no, um, people, people had either had poor form, weren't umpiring well or they were umpiring well. We, we didn't really talk about those issues. We, perhaps we should have. And we should have been checking to see if everyone's okay. But you know, it's, it wasn't something we did. Yeah. Um, obviously, you were a match referee with Cricket Australia. Uh, Cricket Australia focusing on that with match officials themselves. Oh, yes. There's certainly been a lot more focus as we've all become educated uh, about, um, you know, about life and about uh, personal issues and mental issues. You know, these, these are things we just didn't discuss in the old days, but in the, the last decade, it's become much more prevalent, much more common for someone to be um, having difficulties. And, and the, you know, the boards, uh, Australian Cricket Board, Cricket Australia, um, will we'll take, we'll take action when, when someone needs help. That's, that's the good thing. We are now looking out for each other. We are concerned about, you know, people's state of mind. And in the old days, um, it, I guess it just had a different label. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, different generation, different era, different mm -hmm. times, really. Now it's yep. becoming more open in, in this modern era with umpires cool. and players. Yep. Um, if this has raised any concerns for your mental health, do get in touch with many of the mental health organisations that can help you. We have also done some other episodes on the podcast about mental health, so check them out, please do. Uh, those videos have the links to all 
the mental health organizations for you to get in touch. So please watch them and if you're struggling, seek some help. It's great to talk to someone. Now, Daryl, we see more past players becoming international umpires and they come from first class and international backgrounds. Um, we see that more and more. Nearly all the current members of the elite panel have played some sort of first class or international cricket. I think the only one who hasn't is Joel Wilson from the West Indies. I think he's the only one who hasn't played first class or international cricket. Daryl, we don't see your type of umpire coming through the system anymore. Someone who hasn't played first class or international cricket, just a pure umpire and a pure specialist. So Daryl, tell us how does the pathway differ from for class, uh, sorry, for past players compared to the pathway for regular umpires at international level? And why aren't we seeing your type of umpire who hasn't played first class or international cricket being selected on the elite paddle? Uh, good question. I, I always consider myself as a garden variety type umpire. Um, you know, I just came through the system because, you know, it's something I chose to do. I had a passion for it. I wanted to test it out. Uh, I tried it out. I loved it. I enjoyed doing it. And, you know, I was recognised as being reasonably successful and promoted. Um, I know in Australia we've had a system of project umpire uh, contracts where uh, past players have been encouraged to head down the umpiring pathway. Paul Wilson, I, I believe, was, was on that pathway once upon a time. Rod Tucker was probably on it at some stage. Um, I don't know that, uh, I, I, to be honest, I, I'm quite ignorant about who's doing what in, in this day and age. I've really been out of touch for some time now. But, um, yeah, I, I, can't, I, I don't know why um, it would be um, exclusive to past players. It's, um, it doesn't really... I, I, I don't believe a past player has a huge advantage over a non-past uh, first-class player when the ball hits the pads. I think, I think there are certain skills you need and you make your judgment uh, according to your experience, what you see, what you hear. And um, um, yeah, it, it, sometimes it baffles me why there aren't more uh, non-players coming through the system. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, is it just because you know, they wanna go with past players because of that? reasoning the ICC or they just think well they're good umpires we select them to be a part of the various panels well it's an interesting discussion point when when you look at the uh, the elite panel of umpires those umpires have been selected because they've been extremely good at what they do and that's umpiring right they've umpired they've worked their way up through the pathway whatever that might be and they've been rewarded by selection uh, on the panel because they, because of their umpiring when you look at the international panel of referees, none of them have been promoted to that position because they've been outstanding in their field of refereeing, because they haven't done any refereeing. They've only been promoted to that position because they belong to the past players club. Uh, I, I, don't, I can't think of any referee that had any experience as a referee before he was refereeing an international match. I mean, that's not a bad way to start, is it? Yeah. So there does seem to be a, a little bit of inequity in the system where an umpire needs to uh, prove himself as an umpire before he can reach the, the pinnacle, whereas a referee really only needs to have played a couple of test matches. It's a good discussion point. I've never it come is. up with um, It is, but the match referee role has not been in cricket for that long. Oh, we had referees in the 90s. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it hasn't been in for a long period of time. It's only come in in a little while. 
as you said, in the 90s, because um, it was just basically you had the umpires and that was it, no match referee. Basically, all the umpires did all the work. Now, the match referee does all the paperwork and all that other stuff that goes with it. It's true. Um, Daryl, te- with technology coming into the game more and more, assisting umpires more than ever, back in your day, you didn't really have much technology. I think in the, la- I think in the 90s, uh, third umpire came in, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, came in to replays for stumpings and runouts, etc. Um, we now see the ICC using technology for front foot no balls and correcting incorrect short run calls now. Um, so, Daryl, do you think that the balance between technology and human element is just about right? Or do you think the balance is too much in favour of technology and taking away that human element from the umpires? Well, whatever I think is not going to change anyone's anyone's decision on it, any moves that have been made. I think, I think we're just moving towards more and more technology taking over the role, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I wouldn't like to think that the umpire was really only standing out there to hold someone's cap and jumper uh, and not being involved in the decision-making process and and, and and playing playing a role in the, in that great game we love. Now we're supposedly we, we we should have respect for you know the opponents and the game and all the participants, including the umpires. So uh, tough question. Uh, I'm going to leave that to you to make your final decision. Yeah, um, I think well because you've you've gone up through the system without that, and you build up those skills. Whereas you go to international cricket, you become I don't know, sort of lazy and not really focusing on that anymore because basically what the ICC are telling the officials now is basically focus at the business end, which is the batsman. Don't worry about the front foot. Focus on getting the decision right. Just changing the the job, you're right. Mm. Yes. You talked about the introduction of the third umpire. In my very first one-day international that was played at the Wacker in January 94, I'd never had access to a third umpire before. Uh, I'd made my decisions in Shield games and in uh, Mercantile Cup games and McDonald's Cup games and whatever other format there was. I'd made my decisions without ever having uh, a third umpire. So to be umpiring my first one-day international, uh, it wasn't something that I was standing out there thinking, Daryl, remember you've got a third umpire. So I did make a tight call early in the game and uh, I did forget that I had the third umpire available and... uh, the player that I gave out, um, the New Zealand uh, wicketkeeper, I think it was Tony Blaine, Blaine, um, did tell me as I got as he got up off the ground after being given out, run out, he did remind me that I should have used the technology um, and perhaps I should have. But um, anyway, the game moved on and most other times I remembered that I had a third umpire available and I used them only when necessary. I didn't use them uh, on every occasion. They're, I prefer umpires to use their skills. And I think what you were alluding to before was that perhaps umpires have been a little bit de-skilled by the uh, introduction of so much technology. There's, uh, there are tasks now that they just don't have to perform, which is a little bit sad, but that's a progression of the game. That's uh, determined by the governing body, and that's the ICC. And yeah, that's what's um, yeah, obviously, because every time it's a stumping or a run-out, umpires are not trusting their instincts. They're just going upstairs because they get criticised if they don't want to go. If they don't go upstairs, then they get criticised. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but we all like to see an umpire make a decision. At the end of the day, yes. And that's what yeah, the game's when about, out, making decisions. When someone's, yeah. out by, when someone's out by a metre and a half, people will say, what was he looking at? You know, why did he use the third umpire? Well, um, you know, perhaps it's become a bit of a crutch and uh, it's used too much. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Hope you enjoyed my discussion on the state of international umpiring with Daryl Harper. What do you think of the state of international umpiring in cricket today? Be sure to subscribe and click the bell to get the latest episodes of the podcast and like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Also, the podcast is now available on Anchor, Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, keep safe and bye for now.